New Horizon has been serving the church in Northern Ireland since 1989, and we're delighted to bring you this talk today. We trust you will be blessed through this ministry. It's a privilege, I think, to be standing here in front of you tonight at New Horizon and to get to share God's word with you. It's been a privilege to meet some of the other speakers this week, to meet some of you, uh, uh, and um, we pray, uh, I pray, uh, that you will tonight receive from God, yet not I but through Christ in me. So we're listening to him. I don't know about you, but we've had some English and some American speakers here this week, and I'm just about sick of hearing them take the mickey off the way we speak. What about you? I, I think they should wind their necks in a bit, shouldn't they? <laughs> Only joking. I was listening for the first couple of days from home, and I was listening to John. I asked Mark Lennox, who you will know, how do you pronounce his surname? And he said to me, I don't know, I've just been calling him Brother John all week. <laughs> so John over there as he was speaking, I think it was the first morning, he, began, he talked about how whether or not you can balance on one foot for 20 seconds determines the next, your health for the next 10 years. Now I was listening to him in the kitchen at home in the rectory and so I was like trying to stand on one foot and all I can say is you better listen well because I don't have long left. <laughs> Now, we're going to go to God's Word tonight, so if you would turn to the book of Gideon, chapter 6, for me. Some of you are awake. Of course, there is no book of Gideon. It's Judges, chapter 6, and we're going to look at what God has to say in His Word. Now, I'm a very simple speaker, and what I simply ask is that, God, what do you want to say to us through your Word tonight? Isn't that the question we should ask every time we come to the Word of God? Not just does, what does it say? That's good to know, but what does it say to me tonight? What does it challenge me with tonight? How does God speak through it into my heart tonight? So just to give us a little background before we begin to read from Judges, Judges chapter six. The people of Israel have been led out of Egypt. They've been led miraculously through the Red Sea and through the wilderness. They've had God's provision all the way. They've seen the walls of Jericho, Jericho fall and they've entered into the promised land. And God asked them one thing, don't have any other gods before me. Cast out the other gods, get rid of the other gods in the land that you're going in to possess. But when they get into the promised land, they forget that command from God and they begin to compromise with the worship of the nations around them. And every now and again, God, they get desperate and they cry out to God and God raises up a judge and when they listen to that judge and, and, and turn back to God, all goes well for them. But typically the pattern is when that judge dies, they turn away from God again and things begin to go bad for them again and God raises up another judge and they come back to God and so the cycle goes on. It's a bit like losing weight, isn't it? You lose a stone, you put it on again. You lose two stone, you put three back on again. That's what the people of Israel were like. And that's where we're starting our reading. Gideon, judge, story of Gideon in Judges chapter six, beginning at verse one. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other Eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza. 
and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. We're going to read more, but we're going to stop there for now. It's a sad synopsis, isn't it, of where the people of Israel are at. They've turned away from God. A nation that has turned away from God. And we see it time and time again in scripture and perhaps we see it even in our world, in our reality right now, that when a nation turns away from God, the result is oppression. The result is that the enemy begins to take ground. And here we read that the oppression from the Midianites was so great that the Israelites prefer for themselves shelters in the mountain clefts, in the caves, and in the strongholds. If any of them fought against the enemy, we're not told about it here. We're simply told that they feel so oppressed, that they're so overcome by fear, that they go and they hide. Unfortunately, the stronghold that they run into is not God. It's shelters of their own making. And so the enemy imposes fear upon them. The enemy steals their freedom. And look what else we read when they inhabit the land. They destroy the crops. They kill all the the living animals. They ravage the land. Isn't it so maddening when people break into a house or, or whatever, a shop, and, and they just ransack it. It's not even that they want anything from it. They don't even take anything. They're just out for destruction, out to ravage and pillage. And, and that seems to be the story here, that these Midianites and, and the people from the east come to ravage the country, to leave it in destruction, to destroy it. And so, a people living in fear who've lost their freedom also lose their fruitfulness. They're oppressed. An oppressed people who have bought in to the lie that the enemy is stronger and that they have no choice but to retreat and to hide. It's the same old story told over and over again, isn't it? When you think of Adam and Eve in the garden, the enemy comes, entices them into sinfulness. What happens? For the first time, fear enters the heart of humankind. Then they go and hide because they're afraid of the anger of God. The enemy robs them of their freedom and and then they're cast out from the garden and their fruitfulness is compromised too. Folks, tonight here in New Horizon, are we a people? Are we a nation oppressed by the enemy? Are we allowing him to push us into a place of retreat? Are we backing off? 
Are we compromising? Are we hiding in shelters and strongholds that we make for ourselves because we're buying in to the lie of the enemy? May it not be so. But it was so for the people of Israel. And I think verse six is, is one of the best and one of the worst verses in this little section because it says that the Midians, Midianites so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Notice this had been going on for seven years. And it wasn't until they were so impoverished that they felt that they had nowhere else to turn that they call out on God. Why, 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 why did they take so long to cry out to God? Why do you think? Was it because they were ashamed? Was it because they thought we've turned away from God, we can't ask him for help now? Was it because there's no way they were turning back to God until they really had nowhere else to go? Somebody this week spoke about rock bottom. I don't know. But they cried out to God and if only they'd done it sooner. They cried out to God in verse seven, look at the mercy of God because God was under no obligation to respond to these people. He didn't owe them anything, but they're his people. And so in his mercy, when they cry out to him, he responds immediately. Isn't that the love of God? That when we cry out to him, unworthy as we are, he responds. And what he does, as we see in verse eight, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them from before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But ye have not listened to me. Do you see the heart of God in this? Do you see the heart of God for his people? His heart was to bring them out of bondage, out of slavery, to give them a good and pleasant place to live, to give them the promised land, to pour abundant blessing on them, to live in their midst, to have them know his heart and his goodness. That was what God wanted for his people. It's what he wants for us still today. But we need to put him first. We need to have no other gods before him. Verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizarite where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. Enter Gideon, threshing wheat in the wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Can you imagine that moment? As Gideon is in the wine press, doing his very best. Some people say he's there because he's afraid. Well, he's certainly there because he's trying to keep the wheat from the Midianites. He's trying to salvage something of the harvest. And as he's doing that, suddenly this angel appears to him. Mighty warrior, the Lord is with you. Who? Who are you talking to? Because it's certainly not me. Have you ever had a case of mistaken identity? 
somebody came up to me quite recently and said, tapped me, I had my back to them and tapped me on the shoulder and said, excuse me, where's your husband? I said, I'd like to know that too. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not married for those of you who don't know. (laughs) They'd mistaken me for somebody else. And Gideon, as the Lord said to him, mighty warrior, no doubt thought, he's got the wrong person here. I'm no mighty warrior. And you know what? It was true. Gideon was not in that moment in time a mighty warrior. But isn't that just what God does? Doesn't he look at his people? Doesn't he look at the ones that he's chosen? And doesn't he call out of them what he sees? We look at people and we see things. We look in the mirror and we see ourselves. But God looks at us and he sees what can be if we will yield our lives to him, if we will give ourselves in obedience to him. And so when he looks at Gideon, the angel says, mighty warrior, the Lord is with you. Do you remember how God changed Abram's name to Abraham? Father of many nations, father of multitudes. What? Me? Haven't even got one child and you're calling me the father of many nations, father of multitudes. Do you remember how he said to Simon, Jesus said to Simon, you're Simon, but you will be Peter, the rock. The time when Jesus said that Peter was anything but a rock. And you see, God looks at us and and he speaks truth over us. And maybe it's truth that we don't yet see ourselves. But the big question is, will we believe? What will we believe? Do we believe what God speaks over us? Or do we believe what the world speaks over us? Or even what we speak over ourselves? When I was a little child, apparently, I was nothing but an oily app, in the words of my grandmother. My brother, absolutely perfect child. Party everywhere, full of joy, always laughing, always eating everything, really good. Her, nothing but an oily app. Exact quote. I grew up hearing that. Do you believe the words that are spoken over you? Bless my grandmother. I I did love her an awful lot. We made up later in life. (laughs) But do we believe what the world says of us? You're only this or you're only that or you'll never come to any good. You'll never be able to do this. You'll never be able to do that. Those are the voices that ring in our ears, our own internal voice. It's actually sometimes the enemy using our own internal voice, our insecurities, our inadequacies to tell us we're not enough. What voice are you listening to tonight? You know, we've been talking all week about being transformed by the renewing of our minds. That starts as we listen to God's voice, as we listen to what he says, what he speaks over us, and not the voice of the enemy. So what does Jesus say about you? He says that if you've put your trust in Jesus, you're a child of God. He says you're his brother or sister. He says you have every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. He says he lives on the inside of you. He says he washes away all your sin, all your sin, past, present, and future. And he says that he puts his Holy Spirit in you. And he says that greater is his spirit in us than the spirit that is in the world or the one that is in the world. Do you believe that? Because if, you, if we believe that, we will not allow anything to intimidate us. Poor Gideon, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Gideon's not really buying into it at all. See, in chapter, in verse 13, he says, but, sir. Oh, it's very polite up there. It says, pardon me, my Lord. My version says, but, sir. 
but, have you ever said but to God? But God, can that really be true? But God, I know you love everybody else, but, but do you really love me? But God, I could never. That's what Gideon is saying here, but God. But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us. Poor Gideon. You can't blame him, can you? First of all, but sir, and then if the Lord is with us. He's not at all convinced that God is with them as a people. Are you convinced that God is with you? Are you convinced that God is in our midst tonight? Are you convinced that God is the living God, the almighty, powerful God for whom nothing is impossible? Gideon wants to believe that. Look what he says. He says, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? You ever ask that question? God, if you're with me, why are these things happening? You have, haven't you? Because we all have. If you're with us, Lord, what's going on here? Why has all this happened to us? Where are all the wonders that our father told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now, now the Lord has abandoned us. See, I think we get a wee insight into Gideon here because Gideon, we will see later in the chapter, was brought up in a home where there was an altar to Baal, where his father had an altar to Baal and there was an Asherah pole. That was pagan worship. And that's the setting that Gideon was brought up in. And yet here we hear that, that he's heard the stories about the living God. He's heard the stories who from, no doubt, his father or his grandfather. He's heard the stories about how God brought the people of Israel out of Egypt. He's heard the stories about the Red Sea opening up. He's heard the stories about the water from the rock and, and the manna and the quail from heaven. He's heard the stories about the passing through of the River Jordan and the Jericho walls falling. He's heard the stories, but he hasn't seen any of it in his own life. He hasn't seen any of it in his generation. And so he comes to the sad conclusion, well then God, you must have abandoned us. Are we ever tempted to think like that? Maybe we don't see the answer to our prayer. Maybe we don't see the miracle that we've been longing for, the healing that we have been seeking God for. And because we're not seeing his hand at work in the powerful way that we, that we long, that we long to see and that we read about in the Bible, we come to the conclusion either God doesn't do these things today or God has abandoned us. And neither is true. Because our God is a God who does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. What he did back then, he can do today. And he will never abandon his people. You know, Gideon's talking to the angel, and then in verse 14, we have the Lord turn to him. I don't know if the angel kind of morphs into the Lord or, or how that happens, but now it's the Lord speaking to him. And he simply says, he doesn't give him any answers, but he simply says to him, go in the strength you have. Go in the strength you have. Have you ever thought 
I'll maybe step out for the, for the Lord when I'm a bit stronger as a Christian. Uh, I, I would do something for the Lord, but I don't feel that I'm equipped yet. I don't feel that I've got everything worked out yet. I don't feel that I'm ready yet. Do you think you ever will? Do you think you'll ever feel that you're equipped enough, that you're ready enough, that you've received enough, that you've been trained enough, that you know God well enough? Do you think you'll ever get there? Because I reckon if I was to ask any of our speakers who've ministered to us this week, I think we'd probably all agree. We'll never feel ready, but we step out in faith and obedience. Gideon is hearing these words from God, just go in the strength you have. We've been challenged here this week. Will we go out and share what we've learned in this place? Will we go out and invite others to come to places like this and this place where they will hear about Jesus? Will we go out and share the love of God? And it's challenging, isn't it? And a little bit scary even. And God says to us tonight, just go. Just go in the strength you have. <laughs> Look what he says to Gideon. Now, to be fair, I wouldn't like to have been in Gideon's shoes. Because God says to him, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Now, Midian has been ravaging and oppressing the people of Israel for seven years. And God says, Gideon, go in the strength you have. Uh, hello, you want me to save them? And Gideon's ready, as I would have been too, with his excuses. But Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? And we see his inferiority and inadequacy coming out here as he says, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the least in my family. God, really? And the Lord answers, I will be with you. You see, that's all he needs to know, isn't it? He may be weak. His clan may be the smallest and he may be the weakest member of his clan. But as he goes out, he doesn't go out in his own strength. Yet not I, but through for him, through God with him. He goes out to face a big, big enemy. He goes out with a big, big call. But he also goes out with a big, big God who is more than able. And Gideon will soon realize that although God has said, I will save Israel from the Midianites by your hand, he'll soon realize that he's not the one doing the saving. It will be God. Have you ever felt under pressure to get somebody saved? Have you? Pressure for your family or for friends and you think, I've got to pray, I've got to share the gospel. I remember when I was in my first parish in Kilishandra and County Cavan, and I looked out of my upstairs window over the little village and I thought, I've got to preach the gospel in, these place, in this place. I've got to see these people come to Christ. And you know what? I nearly worked myself into the ground for a few years until I was very close to burnout. And then I met with God. And he said, you know, you're not the savior. I am. Just be obedient. Just be faithful. That's what Gideon was going to learn. He just had to be obedient. He just had to be faithful. God was going to save Israel and he was going to use Gideon 
in the process, but ultimately it's God who does the saving. And so as we go out from this place into his mission, whatever that looks like in your context, whether you're in, do you know we're all in ministry? You do know that, don't you? That every single one of us has a ministry. And so as we go out into whatever ministry, whether it's in our workplace, our home, with our family, our friends, wherever it is, we can't save anybody. Jesus can. And he just asks us, like he asked Gideon, to be obedient, to be faithful, to be brave, and to know that he is with us. Now, I'm going to skip a little bit of the passage because in the next little bit of the passage, Gideon asks God to prove that what he's saying is true. He says, God, if this is true, then give me a confirmation. You can read it in your own time. But I think it's incredibly gracious of God that he does what Gideon asks him to do. Gideon, you need confirmation. I'll give it to you. I'll give you a sign, because that's what you need. We read, you shouldn't put the Lord your God to the test, but God knew that Gideon needed this confirmation. Have you ever been in that place where you've said to God, God, if this is really you, if this is really you calling me to this, will you give me a sign? I have. And you know, God in his grace and in his mercy responds and gives us what we need so that we are sure, that we know, that we know, that we know that it's his calling. And so he does that for Gideon. Now, I'm going to take up at verse 25, because this is the first big challenge that God then puts before Gideon. It says in verse 25, that same night the Lord said to Gideon, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height. And using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bill as a burnt offering. Now, compared to saving the people of Israel out of the hand of the Midianites, this doesn't seem like such a big request, does it? Take your father's second bill, the one seven years old. Any farmers amongst us tonight? I reckon this must have been a prize bull, seven years old. You see, you sacrifice the, the young bulls, but you don't sacrifice one that's seven years old. They're good for breeding. So take your father's prize bull. Tear down his altar to Baal. Tear down the Asherah pole beside it. Tear down this idolatry. Burn the bull on that altar as a sacrifice to me, the living God. Take a stand, Gideon. And it may not seem like very much, but often that's exactly where we're called to take a stand, isn't it? In our family, amongst the people that know us best. And that's the hardest place. Anybody else find that? Sometimes, oh, you're a very unresponsive audience. <laughs> Sometimes that's the hardest place, isn't it? To take a stand. Again, in, in the midst of your family, your friends, the neighbors of the town. And, and as we read on, we see, uh, where's God told them to do it? It's not down in the wine press. This time he's told them to go up on the height. To go up on the height where it will be seen. To go up on the mountain and make the sacrifice. And in verse 27 we read, so Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told them. But 
because he was afraid of his family and the men of the town. He did it at night rather than in the daytime. Oh, he wanted to be obedient, but there was still that fear that was holding him back. So he was obedient. You know the old saying, don't you feel the fear and do it anyway. And Gideon did that. He said, I've got to be obedient. But he went up there at nighttime taking 10 of his servants. I imagine in my head Gideon coming down from that height, slipping back into his house and creeping into his bed, whatever that looked like, and lying there awake all night thinking what's going to happen in the morning. It's only a matter of time till all hell breaks loose. You see, and as Gideon did that, as he tore down the false altar, and as he burnt his father's prized bill, he knew in his head that he could pay with his life for having done this. It might not only be the sacrifice of the bill, it might end up being the sacrifice of his own life too. And yet, he was obedient. And of course, in due course, that knock comes to the door in the morning because the men of the town have got up and they've seen what's happened. It's up there for everybody to see. The altar is destroyed and a new altar has been built. And the first question that's on everybody's lips is, who did it? And if you live in a town like Kilkeel, you know you can do nothing without everybody knowing who did it. Some of these 10 servants did not hold their water. They gave Gideon up and they discovered that it was Gideon and they go crashing upon the door of Gideon's father's house and they say, bring him out so that we can kill him. And we're all waiting, how is Joash, Gideon's father, going to respond? Will he be angry with his son? I'm sure Gideon's lying in his bed trembling going, Dad, are you going to respond? Are you going to let them take me? And you know, Joash makes an amazing response because he says to the people, listen, if Baal really is a god, couldn't he protect himself? Wouldn't he look after his own altar? And I love this because to me this says that, that Joash, he knew Baal wasn't real. He knew this pagan worship was not real. Why did he go along with it? Why did he have an altar to Baal? Why did he have an Asherah pole? Was it because he succumbed to the pressure of the people around him? Was it because he was bombarded by the ideas of his age? And rather than fight against the tide and stand up for the true and living God, he built this altar, but deep down, he knew this was no God at all. And because his son Gideon has taken a stand and been bold and courageous, now Joash finds the freedom to take that stand too and says, if Baal's a God, let him take care of himself. I love that because Gideon's courage is setting his father free to come back to the true and living God too. And then we come to verse 33. Now all the Midianites and Amalekites and other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. Here we go again. For seven years, these enemies have been coming and camping in the valley of Jezreel. For seven years, they have been invading, invading Israelite territory and ravaging the land. And as they arrive this time, they think they're just going to do it again. 
They think nothing has changed. They're not expecting anything to be different. We're just going to march in here and we're going to destroy everything. We're going to take everything from the Israelites. And man, they're in for a shock. I love it. Look at verse 34. For me, this is one of the pivotal moments in the whole story because it says, then the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. This Gideon who'd been afraid, the Gideon who was hiding in the winepress, the Gideon who would only make the offering at nighttime, this Gideon who was full of insecurities and inadequacies, the spirit of the Lord comes upon him and everything changes. Have you heard that story in scripture before? Think even of Jesus. We know nothing of Jesus' life or very little before his baptism. And as he comes out of the water of baptism, the Spirit descends upon him to equip him and empower him for the ministry that lies ahead. And Jesus goes forth from his baptism in the power of the Spirit. Do you remember the story of Peter? Peter's encountered Jesus. Peter has seen Jesus crucified. He's, he's met the risen Lord Jesus, but, but Jesus says, now go and wait in Jerusalem until I send the gift my father has promised and the disciples and the followers of Jesus, they're together in that upper room and they know the truth. But it's not until the day of Pentecost when God releases the Holy Spirit and they're filled with the Holy Spirit and they can no longer contain the message, the good news of Jesus, and they spill out into the streets. And you know what? All Peter does is take the words of Joel and repeat them. But perhaps he's understanding them for the very first time in his life. Perhaps it's the very first time that those words have been preached in the power of the risen Christ, in the power of his Holy Spirit. And as he preaches, 3,000 people are added to the church. Why? Because Peter is being faithful to the word of God and to the spirit of God. And we see that happening here with Gideon too. He's got the word of God. God has told him, go, and I will be with you. He's got his command from God. But now the Holy Spirit comes upon him and Gideon rises up and he says, enough, enough, enough of allowing the enemy to destroy to rob and to kill and to steal. Who else said that? And Jesus says the enemy comes to rob and kill and destroy. Gideon says, enough, enough. I wonder, I wonder, do we as a people, you as a person, me as an individual, do we need more often to rise up and say enough, enough? With the word of God and the anointing of the spirit of God, we have all we need to say no to the enemy and to stop him from killing, stealing, and destroying. And rather, we should receive the life that Jesus has come to give and that life in all its fullness. Now, Will spoke to us last night about the end of Gideon's story, which isn't quite so good. But when Gideon is operating in obedience to the word of God and in the power of his spirit, things advance. The enemy is destroyed and people are set free. That's good news. That's really, really good news. I want to go back for a moment. First of all, 
Watch my clock. Five minutes, ten seconds. Let's go. Okay, so Gideon blows the trumpet, right? He's got this courage to stand up in front of these people who just a minute ago were wanting to put him to death. He blows the trumpet. What happens? People start to gather around him because they're saying, yes, at last somebody is standing up and proclaiming the truth. At last somebody has the courage to fight against the enemy. We're with you. Sometimes it takes the first person, doesn't it? to stand up and blow the trumpet and say enough. And the tribes gather around him. Notice there's different tribes who gather around him. I think it's time that we put our tribalism behind us and that we unite around the trumpet call of God to advance in the name of Christ, to advance in the power of his spirit, true to his word, and stop letting the enemy rob us from what is ours in Christ. We go back to the sacrifice. You see, it was a big ask. I think God was testing. Get in, get in. Will you get rid of the idols in your life? Will you get rid of the idols that you've succumbed to because of the pressure of the world around you? Will you tear them down? And also maybe a test of obedience. Will, will you step out? Will you, will you do this? Will, will you go in obedience to my word? And when he does, of course, he receives the spirit. But, you know, it was a big ask, yes. It was a difficult thing for Gideon to do. But it's nothing compared to what God did for us in Jesus, is it? Because, you see, on that occasion, there was another sacrifice on another mountain, but it wouldn't be a bill. That would not suffice. God had to give his only son the sacrifice, the only sacrifice that could take away the sin of the world. Why did he do that? So that we could live in victory, so that we could have our sins forgiven, so that he could come and live in us by his Holy Spirit, but so that we might never need to be battered and to be defeated by the enemy ever again. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Now I all know, I know we all take those beatings from time to time. I know there are times when we let the enemy get the better of us and when we allow him to infiltrate our thinking and take us down. But we don't have to because Jesus died and rose again and give us his Holy Spirit so that we might have victory over the enemy. Victory over all his plans and victory to live in freedom. You see, we've been talking about being transformed by the renewing of our minds. That transformation, I believe, will only take place, my heart, in yours, in your church, in my church, in the churches in this land, when we come back to believing, believing wholeheartedly the truth of God's word and receiving the power of his spirit, the word and the spirit, the word and the spirit, the truth and the life, the truth and the power. I am the way, the truth and the life. Are you with me? So as we go from this place tonight and we're Finishing now. One minute, 21 seconds. I'd love you just to shut your eyes for a moment. Let's pray.
See, maybe I haven't done a brilliant job of exposing this passage tonight, but nevertheless, I trust that God is speaking to us. And I simply ask you to listen and ask God, what is it that you're saying to me tonight? How is it that you want me to respond? See, if Jesus died to to set us free, why are we letting the enemy enslave us? If there are some people here tonight and you feel that You've tried and tried and tried again, but you still feel like the enemy is enslaving you. You still feel like you're just not experiencing the joy and freedom that that you know Christ wants you to have. I really encourage you to seek prayer ministry tonight. And let tonight be the night where you grab hold of the truth of God, what he says over your life. And where you open your heart to his spirit and you rise up like Gideon and you say, enough, enough. I want to live into all that God says I am. Wonder if that's the way you're feeling tonight. Everybody's got their eyes closed, but would you just raise a hand if you feel that way? That you like a greater degree of freedom? Would you like to know a greater sense of God's power in your life? Thank you. Father, I pray for these people. They're they're saying, Lord, more of you. They're saying, Lord, help me to break free from the power of the enemy in my life. The things that I've tried to break free from time and, and time again. Lord Jesus, come in your power. Help me to believe your word. I pray, Lord, that you would send your spirit upon us, upon those people who've held their hands up tonight. Lord Jesus, that you would bring freedom. Just keep listening to the Lord. Is there anybody, and you know that God is is saying, I want you I want you to be a Gideon. I want you to stand up and blow the trumpet. I want you to take a stand against the tide of the culture of your time. I want you to be brave. Oh, I know he's saying that to us all, but I think there may be some people he's saying it to specifically tonight. Is that you? Father, I pray for those of us who need courage that you would give us a fresh outpouring of your courage. We don't want to be oppressed by the enemy anymore. Lord, we don't want to give in to the culture around us. We don't want to give in to the pressure to conform. We want to be transformed, Lord. And you can do that in us through your word 
and through your spirit. So Father, we thank you for this conference. We thank you for all that you've been speaking to us through it. Lord, we pray that you'd take us out from this place and that you'd help us to simply go, as you said, to get in in the strength that we have. And what a great strength that is because you are our strength. And we do not go alone. We go with you. And so Lord, tonight we simply put our hand in yours again and say, Lord, lead me out. Lead me on. And help me to be all that you call me to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this talk. If you would like to know more about New Horizon, please visit our website at newhorizon.org.uk.